Welcome back. My name is Mike, and this is part two of episode seven. If you've just finished part one, you're in the right place. If you haven't, there's a lot of background context we cover in part one that you're probably missing. If you want the whole story, you'll need to scroll back to episode 7.1 and listen to that. But if you're all set and good to go, then we got you. So without further ado, please enjoy episode seven, part two with Stephanie Prevo. You mentioned that um, clients sometimes come to you with specific needs. Are there any consistencies or things that you regularly sh- regularly see that show up client to client uh, as an important need that they have? Uh, let's see. I think for a little while, I think every client knocked on the door wanting an app for no mm. reason other than wanting an app um, without thinking of, well, what's the utility that I'm going to give them? So I think that was sort of a a basic one that felt a little strange for a little while, and that 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 has shifted, thankfully. I think um, brand perceptions another one. Like people think of us as X, and but we're really Y. I swear we're Y, and you're like, well, let's think about that one for a minute. Um, sometimes they come and they're just a brand new brand, like they're starting a new thing for a consumer. Sometimes they're a B two B business and they want to be, you know, so it's a business to business thing, and now they want to be um, more straight to consumer. And they have to change how they talk a little bit. Mm. Um, so the tone of voice matters in those kind of cases. So that that's a typical problem. Some of it's just refresh. We've been, you know, they didn't they they redesigned their website five years ago, and then they it was a launch and leave. So somebody launched that thing, left it as it is, and it hasn't really been um, tended to, other than like you know adding blog posts or something. And then it starts to look dated. I think mm. clients now are shifting their mindset a little bit more into, um, you know, product design. So their website is a product, their app is a product where they have a team of people who actually maintain it. Mm. Um, that's, that's been a more recent shift. Um, sometimes they need help selling that idea internally to get the funding, to get the people, to get the resources, et cetera. But that we, we see a lot of outdated websites, um, and they hand them over to us sheepishly and we're like, no, it's okay. <laughs> You're not mm. the only one. We can help you. It sounds like um, collaborating with clients, even on their business, is a big part of the work now. Like really trying yeah. to figure out solutions that are going to work for them, ongoing over time. Yeah, definitely. And I think that I mean we're a service; it's a service industry, and you're there. Yeah. Um, you're there to help them as much as you are to help their users. Sometimes they are, in a sense, your user because they need help selling something internally. They need help. Um, with literally their their presentation that they need to give to their boss. So sometimes you have to help them that way. Um, mm. Sometimes you have to, you know, get their tech team on board and almost be the bad guy and say, no, we really think it should be this way. Um, but it's a service industry and you're there to help the client as a person as much as you are to help their business and whatever, you know, their users are. Mm. And how do you handle those kind of, I imagine, difficult kind of conversations and negotiations to have with the two different teams, like you would have your team, the team at Code and Theory, speaking with the team on the client side. How do you come together in agreement um, and move forward? I think if you can be together from the beginning and be, it's a little cliche, but a little bit of an extension of their team so that they trust you and that they know that you're not going to do harm intentionally, that... um, you know, it becomes a, a partnership and a relationship that, you know, that you're not, 
or you are keeping their best interests at heart and you are trying to use their money wisely and you're trying to give them a, a superior product than what they walked in with um, and really mm. listening to them and what their real issues are. I think that when then when it comes time to like, oh, wait, you know what, we're we're, you know, we're a little over budget or that feature that you really wanted. That means something else has to come off the table. Um, as long as you have that relationship up front, then those conversations are a little bit easier. And it's not mm. as um, it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't get tense and that people don't argue about money. But um, if they know that you're not you're there to help them, then it, it tends to get it a little bit easier. Mm, it sounds like sorry. It sounds like ex expectation management is a big part of the mm -hmm. process. I think so. I think if you mention things early and often, and it's these are you know you have a feature ideation meeting, and you guys everyone's coming up with these great ideas, and then like okay, cool, we have twenty great ideas, and right now you have budget for three of them. These three mm. or these three these three big ones or these small seven ones. Um, but what you don't do is then go forward with all 20 and then, you know, a week before launch say, Hey, by the way, we, we don't have enough time and, and money to finish these 13. Like you just can't do that. That's just mm. rude. <laughs> I mean, you just, yeah. it just have to respect their, their time, their money, all of it. Um, but again, if you mention it early and often, I think that can solve a lot of the problems. Yeah. It sounds like, um, when you're cutting big features at the finish line, it's not going to go well for anyone involved. No, definitely not. <laughs> mm. That's a great moment to maybe uh, have a shift gears a little bit. I'm hoping mm -hmm. that you might be able to walk us through a typical New York agency. Like I'm based in Melbourne. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of TV shows and about how um, <laughs> life is like in New York. And I'm curious if you can walk us through how like the agency scene in New York actually works. Um, yeah, okay. The So I think the first thing is that we... Depending on your, your actual life, it kind of dictates how, how early you get in. Um, so I think if you're on the creative side, you tend to come in later, around 10. If you're on the, uh, in other departments, you tend to come in a little early, like 9.30. Very rarely are people in by 9. Um, I know other industries are, you know, my husband's in at like 8, 8.30. I'm like, that's just not, I mean, it is a, it's, it's not how we empty. roll. <laughs> no, it's empty. Um because in my life, I, I do try to get in around nine so I can leave around five-ish. Like it's just because of, you know, outside things. But it's nice because it's super quiet and then people start to roll in and that kind of thing. If you work with offshore teams, then that could require early calls or late calls. And sometimes those are just done from home because it's easier. Um, there's a lot of flexibility in general, I think, around that. Um, there's a lot of meetings, a lot of meetings about meetings. Um I don't, I mean, that all may change moving forward. Who knows? Um, I think there's, my typical day could range from having, you know, short 30 minute one-on-one -on -one meetings with people on my team to um, a project kickoff meeting. So we're about to start something to a new business meeting where like, we think we might be able to get this thing. This is what they're coming to us with. What are we going to send them back? Um, so I think it, I think meetings are a pretty key element unfortunately mm. there's there's still a lot of you know we have an open office space so our meeting rooms are always hard to come by because there's everybody always wants them we have mm. meeting rooms dedicated to specific projects which we call war rooms so you'll have one just for one client um where you can have everything up on the wall and every whenever you're kind of doing work for them you're in that room 
Um, but the open office space adds to the culture and that there's a lot of, you know, side chit chat and, you know, just even across departments. Um, I don't, I don't know if that's ever, you know, depicted on TV, but I think that, that part's pretty real. Uh, there can be very, they can be late nights. There can be, there's a, a push for something because um, there's a, you know, a client meeting early in the next morning and then you got to clean everything up and make sure everything's perfect. And I think that's um, usually, well, it can, sometimes it can be done in the office. Sometimes it can be done from home where everybody's just logged log back in. Um, so there's some elements of that where you're actually not even in the agency's space at that point. Hmm. And what's something uh, about agencies that only you and other insiders would know that people like me would not even guess? Oh, think of it like a little-known fact. Um, I don't know if it's little-known, but I think there was there was this big era of putting in things like dartboards and pool tables and ping pong and arcade games, and I nobody uses them, mm. like nobody. Very, very rarely. So I think there was a, I think now that I don't think people are even putting them in their offices anymore. I think a lot of the perks that were for, for show that make it look like this really cool, um, crazy environment, um, then ended up never being used. Mm, people maybe didn't really value those things. Like they were looking for some other things instead. Yeah. Just, you're not going to kill time playing ping pong if you got things to do. You don't want your boss to see you playing ping pong when you got things to do. So just, yeah. Yeah, it, it just didn't, it didn't work out in the long run. Mm. And you've mentioned a couple of times, like, um, you know, uh, clients have changed, their needs have changed, uh, the work has changed. How is agency work changing for you in the time that you've been there? Like, what have you seen um, transition or change or grow over time? Um, I think, well, one of the bigger things is there are more project-based accounts. So it used to be for a long time, you'd have a big annual retainer with a client uh, and they would give you a chunk of money for a year with some level of expectation of everything you're going to get done. And then you, you kind of play along for that year and you make sure that come October, you haven't run out of money um, or that, you know, you have too much left to spend in the fourth quarter, that kind of thing. Now it's shifted a little bit more to a project based environment where they come to you with a specific project they need. Um, and they say, here's a, we have this much money and this is the thing that we have to get done, um, with this much money. And you tell us how long that'll take. So mm -hmm. it's a, that's a very different dynamic because you don't, uh, if you go back to the, you know, the point I was making about the client relationship and being on their side, if you have a retainer account, you have all the time in the world to build that relationship. Um, and the team internally has all the time in the world to get to know each other and tends to be more or less the same group of people. Um, so you just have a different group dynamic overall. Mm. Um, you get burned out a little bit that way because it's like, oh God, more of this client of this time, whatever. But the upside is, you know, it really well. And you know, that mm. brand inside and out, you know, the client inside and out, uh, the project mentalities, you know, makes more sense. I think from a client perspective, because then they're not paying you for time or things that they don't necessarily need. Um, and it's more focused. So every meeting you have with them has a very clear agenda because um, you're mm. trying to get this one thing out the door. Um, but I think that that that's not going to go away. I think we're going to continue to move towards project-based things. Mm. Um, another shift, I think, is that clients now have more in-house teams that we work with. So we're extensions of teams. You have like a, 
You wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily have an interaction designer on that side, but you would have a UX designer probably on the client side that you're working with or even in-house visual design. So they're in charge of the full brand look and feel. And we're there to either, sometimes we're there to extend it into digital, for example. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're really the arbiter of it. Like they really control it. Um, That's definitely changed over time too. Mm, And you mentioned uh, a number of times that meetings are a big part of the whole process. (laughs) How how you and your team and everyone kind of adapting given that you can't meet face-to-face at the moment? I just zoom, good old zoom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a lot of uh, a lot of checkerboard faces, a lot of grids, um, and doing our best to do it. I think it's it's hard. Um, we're making the best of it. That's really Has the, any only, of the, the only thing um, we've done. Have any of the steps about the client relationship management part of the job changed um, moving to a remote first kind of relationship? Uh, yeah, I think. I think some when we switched to all remote, I think some of our some of our clients struggled to do that, and not just a struggle, but for everyone, right? Like it was a big transition because it's not just hey, everybody work from home; it's work from home, wear masks, be isolated. Like there was just a lot going on for everybody, <laughs> yeah, all right? At like once. this isn't yeah, all at once, all on you know what was it March March thirteenth or fifteenth or whatever the date was. So I think some of them were looking for help to just at a strategic level, like how should we do this? Um, also, what should I do now? What do we have to do in the long term? So what can we, you know, we came to you with all these grandiose plans, but now given the world and where it is, what do we do? Mm. Um, so just help us at our at a business level instead of just executing these projects. Um, you know, I think in general, I mean, code is unique in that they do con- like the consultation piece up front with that strategic consulting lens as well as can build something for you on the developer developer side. So in that sense, it's been good for us because we can help you in whatever way you need it, you know, from a mm. client's perspective, it's maybe you, you, you came in the door thinking you needed this, then COVID happened. Okay. Now you need that. And we can kind of pivot. We have people that, you know, can, can help you in a different way. Mm. Um, so I think that that helps. And then it's, you know, we can also help you post COVID in the, in the new world when, um, you know, things are, things are still moving. It's just, things seem, seem to be moving a little bit slower, but things are still yeah. moving. Things, you know, still need to get out the door. Progress is still being made. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, what do you think it's, is important for up and coming talent to specialize or should they be considering more general kind of skills, uh, to break into the agency arena? Huh. I think, I think it's probably it depends on who they are and who they are as people. I think some people really, because it's really hard to get a sense of what an agency does from the outside. And we, mm. we have a lot of interns that are fresh out of school, either undergrad or grad school. And there are jobs within the agency world that people don't even know exist. Uh, so I think for, if you're just kind of interested in general, um, like I, kind of my experience, which was like, oh, I can do this for a living. This is amazing. I have no idea what the title is that I want or what department I want to be in. Then just get in the door. It doesn't matter where you are. And then find your way, make some friends, um, ask a lot of questions, see if you can pivot into another department. I've seen that happen mm. a lot, not just with myself. I think the flip side of that is some people, re- like motion designers, for example, really love motion design. 
They don't yeah. want to be in the account management side. They don't even want to be doing flat designs. Like they just know this about themselves. Then in that case, don't don't feel pressure to generalize. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't like the idea that everyone has to do the same thing. Um, I think if you really don't know, that's cool. Be a generalist. Figure it out mm-hmm. for a while. Fi- figure out what you're gravitating towards, what it is that you're excited about doing, and and also listen to your gut when you're like, oh god, that kind of thing again. And say, yeah. oh, that's not that's that's not for me. I don't want to do mm. another, you know, Excel doc. But some people love that. And that's great because we need that in the world. Mm. But it's just, you know, listen to your to who you are. Um, and if you're, you know, really into one thing, then don't force yourself to like other things just for the sake of saying, hey, I'm a generalist. Yeah. Um, and what do you look for in uh, a new hire in terms of their skill set or their mindset or whatever? Uh, I think sort of a unique point of view on something. Um, I'm trying to think of people that, you know, books that I look at or that I'm interested in um, that they're not, um, you know, they, they have, there was just one one nugget of something that I would never have thought of, would never have, you know, think to do or solve that way. Um, you know, you just look for a, a little flair of something. And then also the willingness to just, get in there and, and do what needs to get done, even within a, a narrow discipline. Um, mm. I don't, you know, I, I, I've definitely interviewed enough people where they're like, well, I just really like the big picture thinking and that's great. That's just not this department. That's just yeah. not what I need. Um, so I think being, you know, being honest about those things is also good because then otherwise it's a bad match on both sides. Mm. Um, I think maybe admitting what you don't know and say, listen, I've never done this before. I've never had to do this level. Can you show me an example or give me some guidance? Um, I think that's also really important. There's nothing wrong with asking questions and, and saying, hey, I've, n- I've never done this before or just tell me where to start, you know? Mm. So it, it sounds like ha- having a fresh perspective and maybe an ability to execute is like a really valuable thing. Yeah, the willingness to figure out how to get from A to B um, I think the critical thinking skills are, are really important, even if they're wrong. Um, just a, an idea of, hey, I, I, I need you to get to, to point B. And this is, what, this is all I have right now. I don't have a ton of user research and they're not mm-hmm. going to pay for it. I don't have um, whatever it may be that you're expecting. And we have to fit within these guidelines and this content management system with these templates and this amount of time. Mm. Um, we are very often in a box. So thinking outside of the box is great in some ways, but in fact, we, we live very squarely in a box (laughs) all the time. (laughs) Yeah. So bounce around the corners, come back and tell me what you found. (laughs) Mm. And what's like, um, like just a basic skill that every great interaction designer that you've ever worked with has, um, that they deploy regularly. I think curiosity Mm. is a good one. I think that no stone unturned type of, I guess, goes back to that what if question, um, the willingness to sort of, what if we didn't do it that way this time? Or what if we just did the same thing we did last time? You know, literally both of those questions are valid in some cases. Um, so that just the, the, I, the, the ability to think in different ways and just be curious um, and, and to know when to push boundaries and when to leave well enough alone. Mm. 
Uh, that's a great segue uh, as well, because I'm really curious about how like Code and Theory as a company is starting to work through this big shift. Like the conversations that are occurring around the internet at the moment, uh, talking about how we're probably not going to go back to the old normal. There'll be a new normal. Um, what are you and your team and everyone at Code and Theory doing differently now? I think we're looking at different ways to provide value. And where mm. it's not always um, these, you know, big projects, you know, nine month, nine to eighteen months, and we're going to revolutionize the brand and do fourteen different things. I think now we can still do that for you, but I think right now it's more what is it more short term in some ways? Like, what do you need between now and then? How can we provide whether it's the strategic value up front or is it? Um, just helping on the tech side? Is it you just need design? I think it's more, um, it's just finding ways that we can maybe do smaller bits um, over time. So for example, we have, um, we have an engineer who is really, really, really well versed in um, something in the States, which is um, ADA compliance. So it's a American Disabilities Act. And um, I think it's only in the states that have it, but they, so we have someone who's remarkably well-versed in that. So we can actually provide a consultation to you just for that, for example, whereas typically that's just sort of a, a package price, if you will, of a larger engagement. Mm -hmm. um, so finding ways to help at a smaller scale, um, we could do a heuristic analysis of your website at a smaller, you know, a smaller scale just to see where the problems are. And then let's talk about what the real project would be. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's just different ways that we can we can spin our our services and our values now. Mm. Um, I think people are a little bit more open to hearing about those kinds of things because they're not sure what they need right now. You know? Yeah. And how are you as a director? Um, how are you working differently with your team as well and managing their expectations um, throughout the pandemic and like into the future? Mm -hmm. uh, what's changed in your process now? Uh, I'm trying to be as transparent as possible with, especially with workload and what projects are coming in, what new business um, pitches are going on. You know, everybody's got a little bit of anxiety around that, um, around, you know, is there going to be work in two months? And in some cases, I don't know. In some cases, I do. Uh, just making sure that they feel comfortable asking me as many times as they need to and giving them the answer that I have at that moment. Um, being proactive about, hey, I, I did just get this information in. Here's here it is. So, just making sure that that they they know as much as they can, mm. um, but also being honest with what I don't know um, and not yeah. making you know. I, I there there are plenty of things that I'm anxious about too, and, and it's okay that they know that. You know, mm. um, we're all just people trying to muddle through this, and I've I've been pretty open about my own um, you know concerns and issues with working from home with kids and being pretty, you know, just transparent around it. Like I'm not pretending that this is easy, that this is all good, that it's just, you know, business as usual. It's not, it's definitely mm. not. So um, just trying to, I think it was more of an emotional thing than a, a tactical one. Yeah. It also sounds like, um, like the two-way flow of communication is like really important right now to keep everyone on the yeah. same page. Definitely. Definitely. Hmm. And you mentioned that you work with an, an engineer that's very well-versed in the ADA requirements. Um, that makes me very curious about how and when you involve tech teams 
in the picture and get them involved in the kind of parts of the process. Like you're collaborating with um, clients and your team, but engineers are usually, in my experience, some of the best people to tell you when things just aren't going to work. Because, you know, your infrastructure (laughs) is just set up and it's just not going to deliver the things that you want. So you have to reorient around that. Um, How to, how is maybe... Uh, the involvement of engineers changing inside code and theory now, and when are you getting them in? Uh, as as soon as humanly possible. Um, they're they're involved from the beginning. They should know what's coming. They should. Um, I mean, to go back to the question of what's been changing in the industry, we had, you know, five ten years ago, nobody. We started projects, and I didn't know what platform they were on at all. That now it's like the first thing that we talk about. Mm. Um, what, what are they on? What do they want to be on? Are they changing? Are they not changing? Um, we have, um, we provide a lot of, um, consultation on, well, you're on this, but you really need to be on that or you're on this, but you're, you know, four versions behind. So Mm. you really should do this. Uh, so sometimes those conversations happen before the, even before the project, um, on the design side even starts. So yeah. we know, again, to that box that we're playing in, we know that that's a, that's a pretty solid wall that we can't change. Mm. So having them in as soon as possible is is in everybody's best interest. Mm. Um, and they're really good about, I mean, I, I, there's a solid couple hundred developers where we are, so which is unique too. Um, and it's they're really good about not saying no to everything and saying, well, no, but how about this? Or... Actually, you can do it this way if they only did this. And then we can go back to them and say, well, if you, you know, change this and this, then we could do it this way. Um, and just being open to that and being open mm. to the brick wall, frankly, and being okay with that's the wall we have. So let's work with what we got. Mm. It sounds like they're very good at uh, at least understanding the constraints uh, to present them as problems so that you can all together mm-hmm. look at them on a wall and go, okay, we probably need to go around this way or that way or mm-hmm. need to adjust our expectations because of this. But you come together and try and solve the problem together. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have to. It, mm. it, all you got to do is not not do that in one project one time and see how everyone gets burned by it and then realize that it doesn't matter because if the developer can't build it, it will not be built. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't matter. It, the, the beautiful comp that was done or the prototype or whatever it was that we sold in and we all fell in love with completely falls to pieces in real life. Mm. And it's that's I've been there. It's a terrible feeling. Nobody's happy. Um, you know, you only do it once. <laughs> and then yeah. you realize, oh, when they said it wasn't possible, they really meant it. And um, how do you include that input from the engineers? Is that an in-person thing or can that be done well remotely with digital communication tools? Um, now in this era, like how, how, how is that input being included? It can be done. I mean, if we're, if we were in the office, you know, six months ago, it would be in person, uh, if they, you know, if, and they could review everything and we can be up at a whiteboard and say, do you mean it like this or like that? And then go document that. Um, I think now similar process. I mean, there are tools that are sort of like digital whiteboards that you can use, um, so that also helps. I think that as long as the the open line of communication is there, it almost doesn't matter if I'm looking at you on a screen or in person, as long as I'm giving you the opportunity to, to raise red flags and, and tell us what the problems are. Um, for the most part, it's been over Zoom um, and then over, you know, we use Figma and Miro for kind of cloud-based collaboration stuff. We use Google Docs mm. pretty significantly. Um between with between all of those, you can get an almost 
in-person like experience. Mm. Do you think we'll ever shift to a fully remote design and development process uh, that doesn't have that in-person component? Uh, I don't know. I think there's, there are elements of, uh, being in a work environment, uh, that I, that I don't think are, that, that can be replicated. I think working remote over Zoom or whatever the collaboration tool is, what it is, and it's, it's fine. I think it, um, you can get the job done. You can get the sort of the, the tactical things done, but there are pieces of, the mental process of going into an office, even if offices turn more into meeting spaces. Um, so I don't maybe, maybe I don't have a desk there anymore, but twice a week I have a two to three hour meeting about this project where we're all together in the same room um, where we can talk about the weekend and we can, you know, get to know each other as human beings and then get into some work. I think that element's still going to be valuable, especially with clients. Um, again, we go back to that relationship and, and partnership. That's, it's, that's hard to do from mm. the ne- the neck up in a grid of faces. Yeah, um, so true. Especially yeah, especially for introverts or people who aren't you know maybe in a in a quiet place um, who can't interrupt. I mean, there, there's all sorts of elements that I I think that an in person some element of in personness I think would be it'd be sad if it all went away. Mm. Um, but I think for some of it, we're all proving to to be pretty diligent and pretty efficient about working remotely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like um, the need to meet and collaborate and workshop may always be part of the process, but there are going to be aspects of the job that can be done offline and remotely yeah. and in isolation, but that key kind of core human collabor- collaborative component will always be there. I hope so. I mean, I hope there's there's some level of connection um, regardless. Um, mm. And how do you find this error and uh, the outcomes that Code and Theory and yourself and your team are able to deliver for clients? Is it is it something that with time will get easier as we all adjust to the new kind of normal? Um, or is it something that you've got kinks in the process that you've still got to like work out? I think what I think there's there's an informal element. There's a because you're seeing people in their natural environment. So I think there's a piece there with clients that I'm like, I now know what your living room looks like, or I know what wallpaper you picked for your dining room. Like there's some element of this that is has been really interesting to me. And I think that um, that piece, you know, there's kinks there. Um, everyone has, you know, oh, I'm on mute, all those kind of problems while you're looking at their face and, um, you know, you're constantly staring at faces and including your own, which I feel is very odd. I've never looked at myself this much in my entire life. Um, so I think there's some elements that will be okay in the long run um, that we're all kind of working through now. And I think um, there's some elements that I much prefer to have kind of old school in the room. Mm. And um, what is the biggest challenge that you're working through right now? Um, doing remote work for Code and Theory, is it uh, the communication, the client relationship management? Is it um, process? Like what is the, I think, the core challenge that you have to overcome? I think the informal communication is gone. So the, mm. oh, I ran into someone in the kitchen conversation. 
the, oh, they're coming into the meeting as I was on my way out and they mentioned this thing to me. Everything now is very, very formalized and scheduled to a certain extent. Uh, like even if it's over Slack, it's, you know, you, you can, you can lose an entire conversation because you weren't at your computer at that moment. Whereas you could have a, oh, let me just swing by your desk to sh show me this thing mm. um, isn't there. And I feel like that, um, it, that part's missing, obviously. Sounds like that the incidental uh, collaboration yeah. time is kind of missing from the process. Yeah, it's a great mm. word for it. Yeah, and given everything that we've just kind of unpacked and discovered and spoken about, what do you think the future of agency work uh, is going to look like going forward? Uh, I think for a little while it'll, it will be these smaller projects. It will be, um, they'll, you know, similar to the bubble bursting and, you know, 20 years ago and 2008 when we, we had the, you know, most recent recession that people are, clients still need to spend money. They still need to market. They still need to keep these things up and running, but you need to provide very clear value in what they're getting back. Um, it's not the time to necessarily experiment with wild ideas that are very expensive, but it could be the time to experiment with smaller ideas that, you know, aren't as expensive because they might mm -hmm. have an appetite just to, you know, kind of opens the door to do something a little bit different. Uh, but you just have to be a little bit more flexible that way. I don't think it's the time to go back to like, this is how we always do it. Like, well, they don't have the money right now. They don't have the time right now, whatever it is. Um, I think we have to be more flexible, a little bit more um, sensitive and empathetic to them. Mm. And then we'll, I think that could, we could end up in better relationships. We could end up with four small projects instead of one big one, for example. Mm, it sounds like being flexible just is going to be something we're all going to have to adjust to moving forward, right? Which is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, at work and at home, yeah. <laughs> that's what it is. Well, especially when work becomes home too. Yeah, exactly. Um, what advice would you give to all the up-and-coming talent out there that's looking to like move into the online design space, um, knowing what you know, what's the biggest piece of advice you can give them? Um, I th the one thing I, I tend to tell people is that this everything changes so significantly, so quickly that what I do today was not something I could have studied in college if I even wanted to. Mm. It wasn't a thing. It was, there were no, I think there was a Quark Express class if you <laughs> wanted to do graphic design, which I didn't even take. Um, it wasn't, it just wasn't a thing. So you don't, what you're going to do five, 10, 15 years from now is not even on the horizon of an mm. option. So don't worry about it. Just mm -hmm. get in right now if you're interested in it and then be willing to kind of go with the riptide and just see where it takes you and then follow your instincts and follow like kind of going back to the generalist versus specialist T thing, like go after the things that you find interesting that you wake up and you're like, Oh, cool. I get to do that today. Yeah. Um, it's cause it's going to change. It's not, this is not a, a tried and true. What you do today is going to be the same thing five years from now at all. And if mm. that's what interests you, that's awesome. Come on in. Um, but you're going to be really unhappy if that's, if that's not, if that doesn't make you tick. Yeah, it sounds like change is inevitable and you need to prepare Completely. yourself uh, for that reality. Yep, absolutely. 
Well, this has been so great. Um, before we finish off, I was hoping uh, to know where people could learn a little bit more about you and your work and code and theory um, and anything that you'd like to share before we finish up. Uh, so to learn about code and theory, you can obviously go to our website. Uh, we also have a monthly newsletter called Decode um, that is on there, so you can subscribe to that. That is not just like agency news, like all about us. It's a... Um, whole bunch of stuff in there that's that's of interest uh also obviously the you know linkedin twitter instagram that kind of stuff um we're we're all on there as well um and then you can always reach out there's plenty of email addresses out there you know find some find someone on linkedin and, and send them a message um you know where it's a it's a pretty open bunch so someone would be so happy great. to talk to you Great. Well, Stephanie, it's been so good to talk to you and thank you so much for taking <laughs> the time, um, especially given that you're sitting in your car right now um, <laughs> with this like immense fog behind you. I just wanted to say thank you so much because uh, I think the, the insights welcome. that you share um, come from deep experience and I can see a lot of people getting a lot of value out of the insights that you shared. So thank you very much. I hope so. Thanks so much for asking me to be on. Well, this has been huge, but everything good must come to an end. If you like this episode and want to hear more, you can get the goods on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network or listening app. Thank you for listening. Until next time, this is Mike signing off.